Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. I want to invite you to support a very special Kickstarter, 1982, Greatest Geek Year Ever, from producers Mark A. Altman, Roger Lay, and Thomas Vitale. 1982, Greatest Geek Year Ever. You're probably asking why. Well, I got Darren Docterman here with me to tell us about some of the great films. Now, I want you to guess some of the films that came out that year. I'm going to give you a, give you a hint. Still, old friends. Uh, Tron. No, God, <laughs> that was one of the films, oh. but that's not the one I'm talking about. Okay, you managed to kill just about everyone else, but like a poor marksman, you keep on missing the target. Uh, Conan the Barbarian. No, that also came out the same year. Oh, oh God, you've never listened to me before, Crom. Uh, okay, okay, you're making this really, really difficult. I don't have any quotes from Time Rider, The uh, Adventures of Lyle Swan. What about this? Um, you're not a replicant. Oh. Hmm. I came across what? a turtle on a road. You turned it over. Okay. Uh, that's the thing. No! It's Blade <laughs> Runner! Oh, Gosh, right. That also came out in 92. But the thing did come out in 1982. And as we all learned, man is the warmest place to hide. <laughs> hey, have you ever wondered what it's like to put out fire with gasoline? I have not. Do you know what movie that's from? The great David Bowie sang the song. Oh, it's... Uh... I have no idea. Cat People. Oh, Cat People. Right. Cat People. Paul Schrader's remake of Cat People. 1982. Exactly. And, and, and John Hurd and Malcolm McDowell, who fans of this podcast may know, played Sauron. Sauron? You mean Soren? Yeah, that's who I mean. <laughs> he played Sauron, the Lord of the okay, Rings. Okay, <laughs> you, you, you know. okay let, me, let, me, let me try a few more because you're not doing very good at this. Okay. This house has many hearts. Oh, that's uh, that has to be Star Trek too. No, that's <laughs> Poltergeist. God, I thought you were a Trexpert. Well, I There's am. There's no line like that in Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. I, I'm pretty sure there is. It's, it's when the, it's when Savick comes out of the uh, turbo lift and says, "This house is clean." Okay, I got, I got one last one because I don't, I don't have anything from the Atomic Cafe or, or Missing. Oh, I or, have something or, from the Atomic Cafe. Duck and yeah. Cover. Duck and Cover. That's true. Very good. That also came in 1982. And I'm going to give you one last thing. Okay. Okay. Silver Shamrock. Silver Shamrock. Oh, E.T., uh, e. the extraterrestrial. Oh, it's Halloween for the <laughs> season of the witch. Oh my God, Gertie, you could do better at this than you can. This no, is terrible. I this is Mark. I'm, I'm pulling your leg. I I knew all of these. I just wanted to have a little bit of fun because all of these movies came out in 1982, the greatest geek year ever. Indeed, they did. And if you want to learn all that is learnable, know all that is knowable in 1982, and have a great time doing it, check out our documentary on Kickstarter starting June 4th, the anniversary of Star Trek II and Poltergeist release through the end of June and support this Kickstarter. I hope you'll join me in making this really special documentary. I fell in love with the movies in 1982. I want to celebrate it. And I hope you'll help us do that by supporting 1982 greatest geek year ever with an exclusive logo from Mike Akuda. If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love best movies never made hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a fan of Inglorious Trexperts, you're going to love 
Trexpert's Briefing Room, a Trexpert's new series. Trexpert's Briefing Room? What is that? I was about to explain, then you interrupted oh, me. I'm it sorry. Is, it's curated audio commentaries of classic Star Trek episodes from the original series all the way through Enterprise. You're going to love it as we explore the behind-the-scenes making of all these wonderful Star Trek episodes with cast and crew that you would never expect to hear doing audio commentaries on Star Trek. Sounds like fun. It will be. And you can find it on the Inglorious Trexperts podcast feed and on the new Trexperts Briefing podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's go see what's out there. Hello, and welcome to the Cartoon Bar Room, where we invite experts and industry professionals to pull up a stool and talk about all things animation. I'm your host, Stephen Melching, and I couldn't be more excited for today's exciting crossover event episode. I can't wait to get down to it, but first, let me introduce you to your co-host, Ashley Edward Miller. I share your enthusiasm, Steve, uh, for uh, for today's mission. Your Spock-like uh, enthusiasm. Yes, my very Spock-like enthusiasm, because um, I get to talk about uh, two of my very favorite things. Number one, freaking cartoons. N number two, freaking Star Trek. And uh, what better thing to talk about than a freaking Star Trek cartoon? In fact, the freaking Star Trek cartoon. Um, and who better to talk about it with than our good friends, from the Inglorious Trexperts and a little podcast our listeners know as the 430 movie, Mr. Mark A. How do you pronounce your last name? Pot whistle? Uh, Altman and uh, his fellow Trexpert, Darren Doctorman. Gentlemen, welcome to the bar room. What are you having? This is very exciting. Thanks, Darren. I got, uh, I got a little uh, Woodford Reserve here. And uh, nice. mix it with the little uh, Wild Bill's Black Cherry. Is that Shatner? No, it's not, unfortunately. <laughs> I figured if it's but, good enough for Coppola to have wine, and Shatner could have Wild Bill's. Ooh, <laughs> Black Wild Bill's Black, Black, Black Cherry. Have some today. I, uh, <laughs> that sounds amazing. I, um, I'm having non-sparkling bottled water with a hint of pomegranate Arbonne. Oh, wow. Easy, easy there. Yeah, you don't want to overdo. Got to make it through the hour. No, Can't no to take you home in a baggie. No vodka cran. No, no vodka cran for me tonight. We're recording <laughs> this on a, on Monday night. It's our second podcast of the day, and I am exhausted because I was uh, I was exercising and and uh, had a bunch of meetings today. And I'm 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 I, I think if I, I would fall asleep during the show if I. You've been at it all day. This is your second podcast. It's millet. <laughs> <laughs> Why, yes. Yes, it is. It is Miller time. <laughs> and melting time. That should be a beer. Steve, <laughs> speaking of you, uh, Steve, what are you What are you drinking tonight? I'm having my Kettle Vun, uh, an orange kettle juice. Vun. My kettle Vun, in honor of Pavel Chekhov. Not the animated show. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that is, this is the my only infinite way. Vulcan. Oh, the irony. The <laughs> <laughs> drink is the infinite Vulcan. How about you, Ashley? What do you got? Uh, what do you have? You know, uh, kids, um, Grey Goose, very dry, a little dirty, like a PG movie from the 1970s. Uh, uh, Captain Kirk's uh, first date. 
Captain Craig's a little dirty, little like dirty. Captain Kirk's first date, exactly. It's, like uh, like Logan's know. run, like Logan's run. Right. That Logan's was PG. Run. That's a little And dirty. it has, you know, um, Invasion of the body algae and, algae and sea plankton and sea grains and protein from the sea. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's fantastic stuff. Boys, um, tonight the subject is Star Trek, the animated series. I've heard of Not it. That's good. Text that could be lower. Not prose that could be digi. But Star Trek, the animated series, what what many people consider um, the the fourth season ish mm. of uh, of Star Trek, the original series. Um, it was brought to us by the uh, well by Filmation um, with the voices of the original cast, uh, with Mister Jimmy Doohan filling in uh, with uh, with many as basically <laughs> everybody. <laughs> Uh, it's um, it's really interesting. It was uh, the story editor on it was DC Fontana, the great late um, Dorothy Fontana, um, who is uh, such a part of um, the creative tapestry that was Star Trek. Um, and uh, it's just I, I, for me, what really stands out about it is that for the most part, it's you know really, how she got that story editor title? How? Because it was Iotsi, and because no, that's what they call the head no. writer. Gene cut her salary and said exchange to give her a better title. Really? Because he wanted more to take more money from himself. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Gene. Yeah. Well, that what makes great, sense. What a great bird. Right? He's a <laughs> he's that's hippie, great he bird. Flip someone the great bird. Yeah, no kidding. Um, okay, so basically, this is the podcast about how DC Fontana got screwed over by Gene Rodberry. She kept coming back for more. She said that on Next Gen when when she was writing the pilot, you know, and it was originally an hour pilot, the Next Generation pilot. And then Rodberry said, well, maybe 90 minutes, maybe it'll be two hours. And she said, oh, well, what do you want me to expand? He says, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. You just write the hour because, he, you know, he wanted the money. And, and, and she says, and, she, and her famous line, was I forgot whenever I work for Gene, I lose money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's you interesting go. how you, you consider it, it's often thought of as the fourth season of the original series because of all these these holdovers. Uh, you know, the cast continuity, uh, some of the writers held over, some of the stories were even you know, con- sequel stories or, or characters coming back. More triples, uh, more troubles. Uh, Mud's passion. And, and I want to say uh, the movie, the, the show came out in 1973 and 1974. Uh, I think it was what uh, 22 episodes total. I think uh, 18 episodes in the yeah. first season. Maybe it's 24 and six yeah, seasons. No, like second six episode. Second. I want to say this might have been my first exposure to Star Trek on television. Yeah. Um, I, I was certainly watching the original series in reruns at the same time, but I, I you know, as a as a five and six year old kid, they were probably somewhat interchangeable. I definitely have very strong memories of watching this show uh, in in addition to the original show. How about you guys? I'm, I'm exactly the same. Exactly the same. Uh, as I as I watched the animated show, uh, I realized that I had seen something like it on TV before that I think uh, one of my grandfathers was watching. Um, but uh, I, I wasn't familiar with it. I hadn't, I hadn't seen, you know, I hadn't seen and remembered it. But uh, certainly I was way into uh, the animated show uh, majorly, certainly the first season, because um, it, uh, it, was, 
every Saturday and and uh, we got to watch all the adventures and and it was uh, that was the time where the big explosion of toys happened and the Mego figures and the, the communicators kits. and the model kits and all that sort of stuff uh, got its you know its second boost and really uh, sort of uh, jump started the whole next generation of fandom at that point. You know, it's funny because for some reason I get I get asked the question. I've been doing I do do a lot of interviews about Star Trek, and I get always get asked the question. You know, what do you? How did you get into it? And you know, it's, I don't really have a good answer because I don't really remember. But I, you know, and I've been trying to think about it because I'm like I always get asked this. I'm just like the one question I really don't have a good answer for. And um, I, I do think the more I think about it, that it was the animated that I was watching the animated series. And I like that. I just I always remember that for some reason the magics of Megus Two was always <laughs> the episode I remembered. I don't know why. And I think that was like led me to watch Star Trek in syndication. And that's when I fell in love with Star. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure because I've never really been able to answer that question well. And and as as a kid, you know, it's easy to get to get them conflated as a kid with your little kid because you know the design, the starship, the Enterprise looks exactly the same. You've got yeah. the same actors portraying this, you know, playing their characters yeah. in animation, which is very rare. You've got some of the, you know, the, the main titles, uh, the opening titles are very similar with the voiceover and the mm-hmm. and the Enterprise swooshing past. And uh, so it's it's really easy to to conflate the two, I think. And I carried on a very interesting love affair with the animated series because. Um, you know, I, I watched it when it was first on in 73, 74, but it's super young, so I didn't really remember it. And then, you know, it wasn't really available to watch because this was before home video. And then right. I think Nickelodeon started airing it in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And that was like the first time I saw it in a long time. And I was like, I'd read the log books, the Alan Dean Foster. That's sure. how I, I knew the show. But then I watched it on Nickelodeon. I'm like, this is really good. The next, and then I didn't watch it for many years. And then I was doing a book in the early 90s, uh, and I watched it on Laserdisc for like the first time in like 10 or 50 years. And that's when I really discovered it, I think. That's when I really realized that it was a special show and it, it can't be dismissed. And it, you know, and then eventually I would end up watching it again when it came out on Blu-ray. But it, it's weird. It's like there's these eddies and currents where I kind of <laughs> lose track of it for a while and then it sort of washes up on the shore again. And, and I, I then do a big binge and I'm like, oh, cool. And then it goes away again. The you travelers know, are returning. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the Laserdisc. I, I think that was the time I had revisited it for the first time in a long time. And I don't remember if, Darren, you were there when uh, our friend Dave brought home, brought over a bunch of Laserdiscs from, that he rented from Dave's Laser of the animated show. And we were just kind of binging them. And uh, it, it got to be late in the evening. And it just ended up on the menu screen where it was playing that main title. Yeah. theme over and over again in a loop and it just yeah you know, it's that kind of groovy jazzy thing sure. that sounded like a 70s variety show so we were just spent like <laughs> i want to say like an hour just doing like fictitious credits for the 70s primetime oh variety special you know starring you know with moment shots and you know just <laughs> you know, donnie and marie <laughs> oh my god it's the star trek variety special <laughs> You know what though? I mean, I think that the the music in general was actually was actually pretty good, man. Like um like especially considering where they where they could have gone with the uh with the music for the animated series. That like, you definitely felt the DNA of of what had been in the original series in that main title. Um, and in the uh, in the music in for the, the score the, music. The score, the, yeah. 
the the incidental music, the score music, is so iconic of that time period um, that uh, a lot of those the later uh, filmation shows utilize those cues over yep. and over and over. So it's sort of melded into all of Saturday morning had this score to it. And absolutely. And and the the thing is that even on the uh the Star Trek show itself, these cues were repeated so often that they became imprinted in your brain. And it's still the same. I was so thrilled that when a couple of years ago they La La Land released it on the third the yep. Star Trek 50th anniversary compilation, because for years those tracks had been lost. Yep, and yeah. no one knew where they were and said, it's never going to come out. I mean, after that amazing box set came out of the original uh, show music, you know, everybody was saying, oh, when are you going to release the anime series? They said, it's never going to happen. So it was so great that they were able to do that. And, you know, it's not bad. And, and there's an f- interesting story um, because when the show was announced, fandom in 73 was very like, oh, it's going to be a, a kid's cartoon. Yeah, we need, you know, we would know animations like, oh, Godzilla and Godzuki. You know, right. scrappy do right. So what you you don't expect much, and these people took their Star Trek very seriously. So what DC Unlike did the, today, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so so DC Dorothy um uh, uh, ran the opening credits at this uh, big Star Trek convention in '73, and that's when they got the fans behind it because yeah. they saw. Oh my God! It looks just like the live yeah. action version. Oh, they're being, you're doing Star Trek. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And just before we move off the music for our podcast listeners, uh, let's have uh, Mark and Bill cut in a couple of tracks uh, for you to listen to. For those of you who haven't heard some of this music, we're going to let you listen to a couple minutes of it and see just how fun and terrific it is. Or Darren can just hum it.
right. So that music is great. So uh, tell us a little bit, uh, Mark and Darren, about how the show came to be. How did the show? How did the show end up on the air? Um, it was actually instigated by uh, Lou Scheimer, uh, who was partners with uh, Norm Prescott at uh, Filmation. And they had been successful in dealing with, uh, uh, at the time, DC periodicals, because they uh, did the adaptation of Superman, and that was very successful for them. And uh, I think they'd done a couple other series, but nothing as, uh, as sort of high uh, noticeability as Star Trek would be. What? That's so, insulting uh, to the Brady kids. Yeah. The Brady Absolutely. kids with the talking parent. And, and the Brady kids met Superman? They How did. could you dismiss that out of hand? Easily. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, one, of the, one of the interesting things is that uh, they weren't pitching to have the Star Trek cast uh, in a rock and roll band uh, that would uh, do songs, uh, you know, at the interstitial points. I would pay real money for that. <laughs> yeah, to see, to see Lieutenant uh, Uhura doing the... Uh, the, the tambourine, tambourine, tambourine like Spock and, playing the guitar. Yeah. That is, Spock would be the keyboardist. For sure. <laughs> and but this oh, is well, where Gene Roddenberry Eric's, doesn't get enough credit for yeah, Eric's the guitar the brand. Player. Because Gene yeah. would not allow it to suddenly become space cadets or some correct. He He's the one who, like, said, Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued, but it got to be Star Trek to his credit. You got to make it Star Trek and you got to pay me a lot of money. Mainly, <laughs> you got to pay me a lot of money. <laughs> Because, you know, this was the time at which, you know, 73, where Paramount, first NBC came back and wanted to renew the show because it was doing well in syndication. And uh, Paramount famously said, you know, we're not going to do another pilot. You have 79 pilots, uh, yeah. so you have to commit to a season. And NBC wouldn't commit to a season. They'd only yeah. commit to a pilot. So that didn't happen. And then also, Gene did the aborted uh, script for The Cattleman, which was right. his uh, feature attempt about a race of sentient cows that were being hunted by outer space ranchers, you know, which was really, you know, allegory laid on very, very thick. And it, it went nowhere and, and, and it was a terrible idea. Um, but, um, but, you know, so this was really like, he thought this would keep it alive because they didn't know how long, you know, Star Trek, you know, was going to continue. Like right now it was a phenomenon. It was doing well, but, and the conventions, but they didn't there think it was going to sustain. There were only little hints of its popularity expanding because of the, uh, the strip syndication that was going on. Um, only little hints. I mean, the, the first uh, conventions Extremely that happened. Little exactly. The first conventions that happened on the East Coast, coast and there was a little bit of uh, groundswell, but certainly none of the indication that it was going to explode again like it did. But interestingly enough, it was the animated show that helped light that fuse. Do you, you think it was because it was just new content? Or okay, that, was it because was, it was, was reaching people like us? The, uh, it's all of that. Uh, I think that, you know, what, what the studio has been trying to do for years in modern times, um, that was successfully done in 73 by bringing in kids our age. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's literally the next generation of fans that didn't see the original show in first run that... If they were lucky, had seen a couple episodes in syndication, but we were still too young to watch it that late at night. But Saturday morning was the target, and we were the bullseye. 
And oh, interesting. Given how young we were, five, six, seven years old, these how sophisticated some of the storytelling was in these episodes. Well, but you see, that's I, what made it. That's what made it so intriguing because it wasn't talking it down didn't talk to us. Down. Yeah. It was a real adult show. But it's it funny a, when Gene came to D. Kelly and told him about the show. D. Kelly said, "This is a terrible idea. You're going to ruin the. This will be the end of the franchise. You'll do the cartoon. It'll be over." And Gene. Being, you know, the forward-thinking guy that he was, he said, "No, this is going to give it new life." And Gene was right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of a miracle that the show didn't end up with like some fuzzy little creature on the bridge that was like, you know, the pet the pet mascot on the Enterprise. Right. Or, and instead, you know, they got things that expanded our idea of what Star Trek aliens could be, like Marex yeah. and Eric's. Yeah, it was that was cool, man. I or you do a you do a story with a pet like uh, you know the Spock, the great Spock episode yesteryear, which yeah. is an incredibly moving, uh, you know, sophisticated story about about For loss and something that children can absolutely identify with. Yeah, other which than the clothing that magical. the children wore <laughs> in that episode, because wow, yeah, yeah, they're all dressed up as He-Man. I don't, I didn't quite get it. <laughs> But well, look, it's a yeah, great the, episode nonetheless. You know, about loss. Time. It's about something, right? That's yeah. the thing that makes it yeah. so special. And what made like the best of those episodes so special is they weren't just about um, kind of the cool high concept science fiction idea. Yesteryear was about, it, it's funny because there's this, this branch of fandom that thinks that Vulcans don't have emotions, right? They have an emotional Vulcan that is wrong. And this is the episode where Spock says, no, Vulcans do have emotions. You know, we've just found a tranquility. Through logic, you know, we've learned to control it. And that episode is about, like, the funny thing is, he says that letting Aichaya go is the Vulcan thing to do. But the truth is, the argument that he makes, old self to young self, is the humane argument, right? He's not saying, think this through logically, even though he kind of is. He's actually saying, ask yourself, who's suffering? you right. are trying to extend and whose you are trying um, to prevent by making but, the decision to extend his life. And what, a, what an amazing uh, message for, it also, for TV. It also gives, I mean, this is the sort of the first time that a new timeline was established. Um, this timeline had Spock losing Aichaya as a child, right? And that hadn't happened before in the previous timeline. Right. And so that act, that event helped Spock deal with his human emotions even better than before. So this expanded the Spock character, uh, you know, dozens of times. It, it's yeah. a, a amazing that even just this little story just sort of opens up everything and makes the Spock character so much it's more so, uh, interesting. It so enriches the Star Trek mythology. It is probably the best Spock story, uh, mm-hmm. you know, post um Post uh, original series. I well, mean, it's so good ah, that they ripped it off for Star Trek 09. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, even episodes like Sarek, which people love, and, and you know, uh, some of the unification. I mean, Yesteryear is so poignant. And, you know, the yeah. idea of having to euthanize a pet, any kid or anyone should be able to watch it, should be able to relate to it. It's, it's yep. very emotional. And, 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 it, and it, even it, with the bad animation and, and uh, the goofiness. And it really humanizes Spock and and makes him an incredibly relatable character, not just through his relationship with his beloved pet, but with when you see how he's treated by his friends, you know, the the other kids. Mm -hmm. You know, every kid knows what it's like to get picked on at school. And 
and what that feels like. And here you're having Mr. Spock, who you think of as this emotionless, you know, calculating character is, you know, the victim of this, this torment. But if you think about how... You just got rude. You think about how, you know, in a way, you're telling the story about this friendless child. He's got one friend, his dog, his yeah. Salot, right? And that's what he has to let go. Yeah. That's what he has to let go. And it's just, it blows my, it's so sophisticated and it's so kind of emotional and real. And like, there's that scene where, where Spock is, is, you know, adult Spock is, is trying to, you know, to soothe Aichaya. And it's right. just, you feel for him and just in yeah. so many ways. I mean, I would argue that it, it may be the best, I don't know if it's the best Vulcan episode of all time, but in as a character story about Spock, it's probably my favorite character story about Spock. Yeah. I mean, I mean in 24 also, minutes, you know, 24 yeah. minutes. Yeah. The, uh, the economy of storytelling is great. But I mean, yeah. I always remembered very powerfully, even when I forgot a lot of the other episodes, I always remembered Spock showing up and it being the Andorian first officer and they had right. no idea who Spock was. Like, that was cool. And yeah. that's such a great use of canon, it's a too. Cool teaser. Yeah. It yeah. totally is. Um, and by the way, it also proved that you can bring back the Guardian of Forever and use it, and it doesn't have to suck. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, ah. One, one little character, right? Rather than a marketing gimmick. Yes. One exactly. little, one little technical thing about the making of this that it it shows up in the episode uh, when the when the kids are taunting Spock. Um, it kind of shows how the voice acting and direction was kind of uh, off, and it, mm. it was obviously we're doing it really fast, and probably with some kids who weren't very uh, experienced at doing this kind of thing. One of the kids yells out at Spock, you're a Turan, Spock. <laughs> okay, first of all, first of all, they don't know the word Terran. Uh, and and they no one knows what this line means, but they still went through with it anyway. Right? It's like and my audio book. They're yeah. like, it's you know like, what? Screw it. I don't even know what it means. <laughs> it's yeah. like the listening to my audio book. When I listen to the audio book, <laughs> where they have no idea what these yeah. words are and completely, you know, uh, Isaac, you know, it's yeah. like, okay. Um, but, you know, it's so, it's it's true. And it's important to note that it, with the exception of one episode where all the cast was in the recording studio together, right. everyone was recording it separately. And unlike, you know, now, they were literally putting it on like cassette tape or going yeah. into a studio and just mailing it into the studio. Yep. So it, it's like Mad Libs. They're cutting together all these different It's amazing you get any cohesive acting at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's the fact that you know all these all these actors who certainly were playing their original roles uh, knew how to knew how to voice the characters correctly, so everything meshed together fine. Um, can we talk a little bit since we're talking about the about the voice acting? I, I would first like to praise Jimmy Dewan for attempting to do basically everybody, but I want to talk about <laughs> something very particular: um, the counterclock incident. Yeah. Captain's log, supplemental. We had 11 minutes of real time left to reach the dead star, but all around, my crew are turning into children, unable to operate the ship. How is our course, Mr. Sulu? I don't know. What am I doing here? What is all this equipment? We will need to disconnect the tractor beam at the appropriate time. Tractor beam? How do we do that, Spock? Commodore April, command is yours. Commodore? I'm Captain April, Mr. Spock. 
of the Enterprise crew. They're all children. If stars begin as dead stars here, then we could bring one to life prematurely. Hang on, we're going right into the heart of the Nova. Uh, let's just kind of put it out there. The voice of Robert April sounds like Jimmy Dewan is doing a bad imitation of Darren Doctorman doing an imitation of Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> you want to talk about a, a, a violation of temporal causality. There it sits. Okay, Wait, which, is uh, a, which is a shame because, you know, it, it's a, it, you know, you could say it's a silly premise that the crew of the Enterprise you know, is getting reduced to, you know, infant, you know, be infants. And, but it is really um, a great statement, um, you know, about um, ageism because yeah. they're putting April and his wife out to pasture because they yeah. read such an age and say they have nothing left to offer. And it's only when everyone starts de-aging and becoming younger that they realize, you know, how important his knowledge is it's like hey boomer okay boomer thank god for the boomer right right and uh, it's like a battlestar galactica episode by the way <laughs> okay boomer so you know as, as silly as the premises is it is actually a really kind of cool episode that Absolutely. like all great star trek has a really important message you know at its core but let me uh, i'm gonna only slightly disagree with you because i mean look I, I i'm a i love that episode actually but um, I I don't think I don't think it's nearly as successful as something like yesteryear for a very simple no, reason. Nothing that, is, like, yeah. and, and nothing. You're right. Nothing is. It was almost not a fair comparison. But I think yesteryear works better as animation than the counterclock incident does. I think the counterclock incident would have benefited from being an hour long, being live action, having an actual actor and a performance with scenes because. In the counterclock incident, that story lives entirely in our heads, right? We never, Robert April and his wife, they, they never really emerge as fully fleshed characters who are in any way wrestling with the ravages of age, right? Like, and I, we mentioned Sarek before. There's an example of it. Are all good things. Or I understand there was some sequel to Star Trek that was all about that. But um, in the case of the counterclock incident, it was, it was, it just kind of happened that way. And it's a great message. You're right. And I've always loved the idea that Captain April, Commodore April, uh, was on the Enterprise and that happened. But uh, it, I, I don't know that animation was the right home for it. It feels like, like something where um, there wasn't much of an animation imperative as much as there was with, uh, with some of the other episodes. Well, you got to remember all those second season episodes were sort of the leftover scripts from first season. So, mm -hmm. you know, DC Fontana left at the end of first season because they didn't want to pay her for second season. So second season was pretty much the leftovers, you know, or the stuff that they just bought. So they, they didn't really um, get the same kind of love that the first season got. Um, right. But I still think, look, I still think it's an interesting episode. Although, you know, Jimmy doing during Robert April and then Michelle doing, you know, it's, it's like, you know, my plant is dying. Oh, no. <laughs> she kept the voice when she got younger. 
Yeah, yeah I know. Um, and which is, I mean, it's just, there's this whole thing. So, and this is the... D, really, D Bradley Baker, they ain't. No, no, but who is, right? D, D Bradley Baker came on this show and then just started doing clone voices one after the other, like, perfectly, just like nothing was happening. And he's just one clone, and I'm crossing. And then he's like, oh, I'm under. And then it was, how the fuck are you doing? Um, but, you know, it's just like, I, I think we can agree. It's like, the, it was great that we had the original cast, um, in the animated series. It's perfect that Shatner's, isn't it? Um, now, isn't there I, a story about how they all ended up? Uh, oh, yeah. Why don't you tell us the story of how we ended up with... Darren, you want to tell that story? You you, you tell. Tell okay. him, Jim. Tell him, Jim. Tell him, Jim. <laughs> so uh, it's very interesting. So, you know, NBC had put together this whole, you know, the one time they would all be together for publicity purposes to record. But when they showed up the recording studio, uh, George and Michelle weren't there. Uh, the voices of um, Sulu was going to be done by Dewan. Could you imagine that now? And then, and Major was going to Major was going to do Michelle. I was going to do Ahura. And the Moy said, "No." He said, "You you got to have." They were doing that to save money, and the Moy said, "No, you you have to have the entire cast." He, you know, and he was willing to forego Walter because he wasn't part of the original crew first season, right. but he insisted that they hired Michelle. And that they hire George back. And this is only because he knew that Jimmy Dewan couldn't do a Leonard Nimoy voice. (laughs) (laughs) So so they ended up hiring them. But of course, then they had, you know, Shell do a couple of voices. Majel did a ton of voices. And, you know, Jimmy Dewan, as we've joked on our podcast, is the man of a thousand voices that all sound the same. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, there's not a lot of separation with Jimmy Dewan's voices, as we say in the biz. George was game to do a couple extra voices here and there too. I could detect him, but you know there are lots. There's some uncredited uh, actors on there, like uh, uh, gosh, what's his name came back as Cyrano Jones. Yeah, Ooh, Stanley, Stanley Adams. Adams. Stanley Adams. Yeah, and then Ted Knight is on. I was say Ted Knight. Ted Knight. And also, watch that episode just for Ted Knight. I love the fact that they brought back. You know, because they could have easily just had Dewan or somebody do these voices, but they knew it was important for these key guest stars Roger to bring Carmel. back Roger Carmel for Mud yeah. and Stanley Adams for Cyrano Jones. And as for the Klingons, I don't think they did. It was it was no. Dewan, the Klingons right? were either either Jimmy doing a Klingon voice or uh, uh, Lou Scheimer. All right. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Wow. They, so they didn't bring like in Sarah or Calicos or anything. Oh no. Too bad. <laughs> no. But, no. Um, no Did they have Mark Leonard in um, Mark in, Leonard? Uh, in yesteryear? Yes, yes, yeah. Which is also an amazing for kids animation that they yep. took it seriously enough to bring these people back as guesters, and the fact that there were so many sequels to original episodes. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, more troubles, more tribbles. A yesteryear, which is in a way sequel to City. Um, mm-hmm. But the one that people don't talk about is Once Upon a Planet, which was a yeah. sequel to Shore Leave, yeah. and Mud's Passion which was another yeah. Harry Mudd. So you got four or five episodes. There are sequels to the show from the 66, 67, 68. I mean, it's amazing. I yeah. mean, this is a kid's animated show from Filmation, who the only good thing they ever did was Flash Gordon. Right. <laughs> and, you know, the, the rumors that were flying around in the 80s and 90s that, that uh, Roddenberry didn't consider the animated show to be canon, B.S., uh, that is not true. Of, you know, of, of course it's canon. It had all it had all these original writers. It had all these original actors. Of course it's canon. You know, however you d- define that, if uh, if it fits within the universe of Star Trek, 
Uh, of course it was. And I, I think that uh, there, there might have been a couple things in it that Roddenberry didn't consider that fit very well within the universe. But uh, I think... Yeah, but if, if you asked Roddenberry, he would have told you that Star Trek II shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I think it's a shame, you know, that they did not call Archer Robert April in Enterprise. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. that was, it, it absolutely should have been Robert April. That was yep. always considered the one element that was definitely canon from um, the uh, animated series. And it, it was so short-sighted and disrespectful, you know, because all it would have been was changing the character, was, was, was using the character's name. Yeah. And it would have fit much better in the canon. And um, and I would have been fine with it. Yeah, and I definitely probably would have watched more than two <laughs> Me too. But it feels like one of those things that, frankly, in, in the sense that we were kind of talking about, you know, uh, Dorothy Fontana saying, like, you know, I forgot, like, you know, when I work for Gene Roddenberry, I lose money. Like, there is there is something about the decision to not name that character Robert April and to name him Archer. Uh, oh, of course. It's monetary based. Of course yeah. it is. It's, like it's, it's got a fine tradition. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the, the animation. Now, look, it's Filmation. Filmation is not like, you know, where you go for a while. I mean, nobody sits back and says, Star Trek, the animated series, that was a beautiful show. Or like, or really anything that like Filmation did, you go, that was a beautiful show. However, comma, there is well, something that I find really cool about what they did, which is the ship. Right, which I think it looks to me like, and I don't know oh, this for a fact. Garrett, it was rotoscope. Okay, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It um, looked like they definitely did rotoscope. Take the a couple of those. They used the same establishing shots yeah. from the live action show. They rotoscope yeah. like that shot where flying up over the dish, or yeah. when it's swooshing towards camera. Absolutely. And and the and the orbiting around the planet where it's changing mm -hmm. perspective, and then they did those simple two D. Cards that would slide. Yeah, the side, the side view that goes right yeah. past. Um, I, I, I'm going to take uh, take umbrage at the statement that it's not a beautiful show. It is a beautiful show. It's just not animated beautifully. Right. That's the difference. I think the shot designs are great. I think that the you know all the compositions and all the design of everything in in it mm -hmm. are really beautiful and takes the the Star Trek world and expands it you know, a little bit. I mean, we see, you know, different rooms in the Enterprise that uh, are places we hadn't been before, but they still fit in with that Matt Jeffries aesthetic and really alien uh, worlds that we had not seen before. And I have to argue that the first episode of it, um, uh, uh, what's the f name of the first episode? The uh, something star. Beyond the farthest star. Beyond the farthest star, yes. Duh. You are correct, Captain James T. Kirk. And I have the starship I've waited for so long. So terribly long. It has absorbed the memory banks, Captain. All of them. You will now remove the static shield from the navigation console, Captain James T. Kirk. You have shut down life support systems and endangered members of my crew. Restore those systems first. All non-essential systems are extinguished. You will obey me. And if I refuse... Obey me. Captain. Obey me. Stop. You'll hurt him. Remove the static shield from the warp drive controls. Do it now. No, Captain. I'll obey. Let him go. 
Scott. Start repairs. Install the auxiliary controls. Aye, Captain. I'm all right, Captain. What are we dealing with, Spock? High rank probabilities, Captain. It is a magnetic organism without mass, but capable of symbiotic relationship with a host body. A starship, for instance. It is a form of primal energy, and it can utilize the electronic control systems of a starship like the mind of a man uses the neural control systems of the human body. It has become the Enterprise. Um, has perhaps the most creative alien ship design ever seen in a Star Trek project. I mean, this giant, you know, sprawling pod ship with, uh, you know, these tendrils and these uh, sort of uh, insectoid shapes in it is truly uh, mysterious and scary and unknown and something that we'd never seen before. It still feels extremely Star Trek. Well, I mean, and look, the I, fact is it's written by Sam Peoples, yeah. who wrote the second Star Trek pilot and was an acclaimed science fiction author and also was the one who advised Roddenberry. He gave Roddenberry, when Roddenberry was doing Star Trek, all those pulp covers and yes. educating him about sci-fi. He was the one who said, you can't have Mr. Spock as this red-tailed devil who yeah. eats food <laughs> through his stomach. You know, yeah. it's too, the audience can't relate to it. So Sam Peoples was essential to the origin of and apparently he's the one that he's the one that came up with the split infinitive to boldly go where no man has gone before. <laughs> he invented that. It, uh, it was like nuclear fission, only different. I mean, look, I, I don't disagree with anything that you just said in terms of the, the design. I think and it, it to its credit, it maintained the aesthetic of the original series. Um, and there were some really cool designs in there. And I thought that the use of the rotoscoping was really brilliant um i, but I think agree with you their methodology for having to crank out these episodes right uh where you know they sort of uh, along with uh, hannah and barbara they sort of developed this method of limited animation to make it possible to make weekly uh you know right animated so there's lots of shots that are like you're sitting back and it's static and it's yep. silhouette or it's or, or one, one moving image one sliding image in the shot that's right. Right. It's, it's a close-up where they only animated the mouth, like the yep. rest of the face. And you can is tell because still. the rest of the face is not because the turns aren't totally working. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just it's it, what, what's I think most amazing about that is that the stories are so good that you forget about it. Yep. And watching it again recently, I was really looking at it as a you know in retrospect as a you know, after my you know so far many years working in animation, no one would. I can't imagine anyone would ever pay for this, but if you you could take those original elements and redo the animation with modern stylized CG 3D animation, keep the same voice tracks, maybe swap out some of the ones that are obviously doing, but maybe you yeah. keep them for, for old time's sake. But take those same scripts and translate them direct them in a way that's maybe a little, you know, in keeping with the, the aesthetic of the original show, but also, you know, more modern, I guess. Well, you there know, have been at least, there, there have been at least three pitches of that. To do that. Yeah, but Rod that. Roddenberry is, is a huge advocate of that. He, he said he used to always dismiss the animated series and he finally watched it and he was like, oh my God, this is what you should be redone in CGI, yeah. say the art CGI, keeping the, the, the original voice tracks. Yes. And, um, you know, I think it would be great. I, I Look, I would I would watch that. It'd be like having a fourth season of the original series. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. If you could 
you know, swap out some of those guest voices and redo the animation. And something else, the, some of the sound effects, they use the original sound effects from the show. And for some reason, like the, the red alert sound effect is different. But, you know, like yeah. make give a consistency to the sound effects and, and keep all that other stuff. Because well, the stories are that, I think, are really strong. A couple years ago, I had the opportunity to have access to a clean uh, DM&E track of one of the episodes. So, it, and, so they, they have clean uh, tracks? They do. Wow. They do. Um, and uh, I was able to take it and sort of just replace the music track with original series music. And it's quite an interesting thing to watch this episode. It's almost like it's brand new. Wow. And uh, I actually showed Dorothy Fontana. And she said, wow, that works really well. <laughs> Just by changing out the music. Yeah. Yeah. It, wow. it feels exactly like Star Trek then. So, Mark, you brought up Sam Peoples. Um, there are a number of really great writers who worked on that show. And, and, like, and some surprising um, you know, configurations of things. Like you have you know, Larry Niven like during this flavor weapon. A self-destruct mechanism would not have a gun sight. No. Let's see what this does do. We can't give him that. Fascinating. No world in the Federation has produced anything so powerful. Almost beyond theoretical limits. Total conversion of matter to energy at a distance. If the Kazenti had that, the whole galaxy would be their dinner table. Hit the dirt! bringing the Kazinti sort of into the uh, into the Star Trek universe. Um, with Larry that. Niven, and, one of the great science fiction novelists of all time, but right. certainly Ringworld. at that time, writing an episode of the Star Trek animated series. Yeah. And um, I love them bringing the Kazin in because, of course, that opened a whole new mythology in the Star Trek universe, and they've been referenced in other uh, Star Treks later. And it was really interesting because, of course, that was something he had created for his own novels and the mm -hmm. fact that we're now part of Star Trek universe. And then became a big part of the, um, the tabletop game. I think it was the role playing yeah. game. Um, and you know, they were a great species. Uh, um, but of course, you know, um, they were painted pink, you know, like <laughs> was often the case in with just always, you know, Ivan Ackerman, always the wrong answer. Unfortunately, you know, the, the story may be apocryphal that Hal Sutherland was colorblind. So you had stuff like the, um, the Kazinti being pink, you know, with their fearsome alien warrior race, you know, and then you had uh, Adorable. The, the, the Orions who were supposed to be green and Pirates of Orion are, um, I forget well, what I color think they were. I think the Orions. The Orions. I didn't realize you know, for years they were the Orions because they could call like the, the Orions. They're like the Terrans. Right. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Terrans and the Orions. The Baltimore Orions. Shatner pronounced quadro and yeah. uh, more trouble, more trouble. What's he say? quadro uh, uh, Cali. He, he, he does say sabotage. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It does. And it sickens me. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, and you had David Gerald writing a couple episodes, who of sure, course sure. wrote on the original show and is a novelist and 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 screenwriter. Uh, in addition, you had Walter Koenig. Yeah. Well, that Walter was Koenig. sort of his um, consolation his prize consolation for not being prize, in the yeah. show. And at first, he was really excited, but he says after he did his like eighth or tenth rewrite for Gene, he wasn't so thrilled for what he was getting paid. So right? Getting it's paid like, like the rate could not have been that great. Was it the Infinite Vulcan? Yes. Yeah, the Infinite Vulcan. Right. Which so he wrote infinite drafts of it for where where the main uh, the main antagonist is either Stavos Coniclius Five or Stavos Coniclius, depending on who's saying it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because that was the attention to detail. <laughs> but I love that you have an episode like Magic's Amigas too, where you know Satan is put on trial and he's our yeah. hero. Yeah. You know, he was and, being and unjustly. And I gotta give a shout out. Uh, the, that episode was written by a friend of mine, Larry Brody, Larry who, Brody, uh, sure. who uh, you know wrote on uh, Voyager. I think he wrote an episode of Voyager, maybe or Next Generation. But it w- was he had pitched Next Gen? Yeah, he was a writer on all the great seventies action shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a great career writer producer in television, and just has so many amazing stories about about people and wound up writing an episode of Star Trek the Animated Series. Look, and Gene was really happy and brought him in for Next Generation. His experience on Next Gen was not as good, but uh, he did have a good experience on the Animated. Uh, I think he's one of a million people who threatened to write a book about his experience with Star Trek. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, sure, sure, as, as short as it might be. Um, but yeah, and there's so many great people that um, wrote. And of course, John Culver was a pseudonym for um, the publicist on the show, Fred Bronson, who was the publicist mm. at NBC, but he couldn't write on the shows that he was publicist for. Right. So he wrote under a pseudonym as John Culver because he lived in Culver City. And uh, <laughs> so he, he, he wrote, uh, yeah, so he, he wrote, um, uh, you know, the counterclock incident, uh, which was, you know, the last episode. And then, there, you know, we had on our show, we did a commentary on Trexpert's Briefing Room with Howard Weinstein, who was yeah. a young college student, sold his script, The Pirates of... Orion, the Pirates of Orion. Um, <laughs> and it was so funny because um, when Lou Scheimer said to him, oh, we love the script. What else have you, uh, who else have you written for? He goes, no, I'm a, I'm a college student. I'm in college. And they, they couldn't believe it. And, you know, he had his, his script, his first script for Hollywood, you know, bought as a young college student. And, you know, and then subsequently went on and wrote a ton of Star Trek comics and Star Trek novels, like mm-hmm. Covenant the Crown. But uh, really nice great guy. runs on, on the comics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, you know, and you, you have a couple, you know, a couple other people that, you know, were uh, veterans. Stephen Candell on, you know, sure. Mud's, uh, Mud's Passion. Mud's Passion. Captain's Log, Stardate 4978.5. We are approaching the Arcadian star system on a mission to locate an old friend. Captain Kirk and the ineluctable Mr. Spock. What is it? My love potion. Not delusion, not trickery, dear Nurse Chapel. I'm sorry, sir. Dear, lovely Christine. I can't stand the thought of any danger to her. Love. By the way, anybody keeping a trace on the captain and Mr. Spock? Thanks, Jim. It's good to have a friend like you. Strange, that's the way I feel about you, too. My dear friend, Spock.
which is also a terrific little, very funny episode. It has some great lines. It, it definitely fits in well with the I Mud uh, and Mud Women uh, stories and, and, the, and the character. It gets a little big, you know, as Saturday morning, as a Saturday morning show dun, with fighting dun, dinosaurs. Dun, dun, but, dun, 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 but yeah, they all get, dun, 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 they all get affected by the love, you know, the, the love potion. Yeah. And it, you know it's a lot better than Deep Space Nine's fascination, and um, and it, it is wonderful because it's like McCoy is all drunk on love, and he's like, you know, the Enterprise. If she had a heart, I'd heal her too. I mean, it's just like it has some really funny, you know, dialogue in it. Yeah. So, the second season goes six episodes. What? happen i mean because we we talk about the animated series as being you know the the element of the of the canon that brought people like us um into star trek uh that kind of kept the fire burning in between in the in between time in between yeah. uh the original series and the the reemergence and the, the interregnum the yeah and the it won an emmy. don't forget it won an yeah. emmy yeah it, the did second it really? season won an Emmy for best children's program, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. yet, six episodes. So, so what happened? How, what, how did the wheels come off that bus? I think, I think part of it, it, it didn't. I think part of it was that they were realizing that the reruns were getting just as high a rating as the as the original ones. The reruns of the uh, of the, the, of the, the hour show, the hour show, yeah. or the animated? No, no, no of no, the, the animated. animated. Show. Yeah, it was kind of typical of the era. Most yeah. of these animated shows didn't go very long, particularly based on an IP, you know, yeah. because what happened is the kids would age out. So it was all new to them. The repeats right. were new because it was a different. So Star Trek, it was, you know, it was an expensive show to do. And they repeated it for quite a long time. It yeah. was never really something where, you know, the idea would be, oh, this could go a third season. This could go a fourth yeah. season. I mean, it's they didn't have to. Yeah, they didn't have to maintain the audience week to week because there was always new kids coming in. And it was interesting because Scheimer went to, to Roddenberry right uh, when Next Generation uh, debuted and said, hey, maybe it's time to do um, uh, 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 an animated uh, Next Generation series. But uh, it was right before Roddenberry died and, and, and yeah. then it never happened. It's, it's interesting you say that because not 10 years later, the animation landscape was totally different when, and the goal was 65 episodes so right. they could strip it Monday through Friday for 13 right. weeks. Um, but in, in the early to mid-70s, you're just concerned with Saturday morning. There really wasn't much uh, to, right. say, to speak of in the afternoon. Right. You didn't, you didn't have to like, worry about what was going on in the middle of the week. You just had to, to cover the number of weeks in the year, um, which is just too bad. Yeah, because it would have been great if the show had gone longer. But like I said, you know, the, the, the second season, really, there was no one minding the store. It was right. all, you know, Shimer. You know, and 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 by then Hal Sutherland was even gone, so right. it was just the filmation partners because it, all the work and all the money was really spent during that first year, and the second year was just sort of like the leftovers, you know, being reheated. Do you think the actors would have uh, had the patience to stick around and do more episodes, or were they? Do you think they would have just happy to to cash the check and and do the I work? At, at that point, I think they were they were you know glad to have the paycheck and and uh, glad to. You know, be able to do this stuff from wherever. Right. Although in retrospect, they're very dismissive of it. If you read any of the interviews or talk to you know Bill or Leonard or any of these guys, they were all very dismissive of the animated show. You know, yeah, which but I that's think great because they've never watched it. 
Right. I mean, exactly. you know, it's 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 just silly. I mean, it's the same thing that they repeat all this stuff that they hear in the in the press about Star Trek the motion picture about it being slow and boring. No, that's just because they've never watched the film. Uh, it's it's just silly that that um, you know Shatner has never watched an episode all the way through of the original series. He doesn't like to watch. So himself. he doesn't like to watch himself. And but the thing is that they. They don't understand what they've got there, and they never have. And they but only we know, know what they've got here. <laughs> <laughs> right. They only know the reaction that they got from the crowds at the at the conventions, you know. And God knows, I mean, I, I would argue that for some of them, um, the supporting cast, as it were, that you know that the animated series is part of the reason why we that they are think actually of considered yeah. part of the family. Absolutely. That's right. mm-hmm. That's right. And, and if it were just the original day series? players, yeah, because they were integral to most of those stories in the animated show. Yeah, you right. got to imagine if it was just Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and then Lieutenant Eric's and you know some other rando new characters. If they would have had rando, this, <laughs> Lieutenant Rando, <laughs> Lieutenant Rando, <laughs> if uh, if uh, if they would have really you know made it into the you know into star trek phase two and 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 the motion pictures eventually well the only time that uhura is in command of the enterprise is in the animated series yeah you know she's left she, she's left in command is that um, the lorelei signal lorelei mm-hmm. signal yeah, yeah. Where, like that yeah, would be robert meyer burnett's favorite episode i could be wrong the sirens who lure the men of the <laughs> enterprise to their yeah. doom yeah it sounds familiar <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, and you know, a lot of people forget, you know, when they talk about, um, you know, how prescient the original series was, and they said, oh, well, you know, Prediction introduced the holodeck, you know, presage oh, virtual reality. Wrong. No, the animated series did Practical Joker. They yeah. had the holodeck, so you know, even that was something that was part of the original. And uh, then they holodeck say, and, and and the ship's computer becoming sort of sentient and and yeah. you know, creating this personality where it's playing these goofy goofy jokes. Yep. On the crew, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, absolutely. The holodeck is a huge, and, and the holodeck being not just being a thing, but being a, a mortal danger right. to to the people that are stuck in it. So the holodeck malfunction episode was yes. also created by. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You've made two errors. You're wrong. <laughs> you Fans are of next perfect. generation. <laughs> so well, then the, go ahead. I'm sorry, man. I was saying also, you know, like they say, oh, the 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 uh, you know the iPad was sort of presaged also by uh, next gen. No, just the thin version because the yeah. you know the original show had the iPad too. It was just a little thicker, you know, um, than 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 later in, in next gen. So this is not to take away from next gen, but I'm just saying, no, all, all the heavy lifting was done by the original Star Trek. Right. Everything else is just a copy of the original Star right. Trek. The original you know, series was revolutionary. Next Generation was evolutionary. Very, very well put. Very well. Put. No, it's very. It's actually very apt. It's a great way of putting it. So let me ask you guys this. So you know, we said what twenty four episodes total, eighteen and six. Um, and I mentioned six, sixteen you know, and six. Sixteen and six. Okay, so twenty two. So uh, you know, I mentioned that the counterclock incident probably would have benefited from being an hour-long live-action show. Are there episodes that you guys think about that's like as even great as animation would have been made better by being live-action or might not have worked as well as live-action? I, absolutely, Yesteryear should have been a live-action episode. You will not disappoint Sarek in your Kazwan. 
I wanted only to help Aichaya. He was my father's before he was mine. To lose him... A Vulcan would face such a loss without tears. How? By understanding every life comes to an end when time demands it. Loss of life is to be mourned, but only if the life was wasted. Achaya's was not. Spock? Yes, sir? It has been too long. No antidote known will save his life. Is there nothing you can do? I can prolong his life, but he will be in pain. Or I can release him from life. I will need your decision. He is your pet. Release him. It is fitting he dies with peace and dignity. It's just so, it's so wonderful. I don't know how they could have done it. I don't know how yeah. they could have done Aichaya at the time. Um, uh, you know, but seeing that for real would have been amazing, honestly. Um, yeah. And, you know, as far as, as far as, uh, you know, if a live action version wouldn't work as well, I think that's only, that's only due to the capability of, uh, visual effects and photography at the time. Uh, I think if they had been redone now, there is nowhere that they couldn't go. Yeah, but and, you got to remember a lot of these pitches were for the third, fourth, third and right. fourth season of the original Star Trek. Right. And they were rejected by Fred Freiberger. Like David Gerald was pitching a sequel right. to Tribbles and Freiberger said Star Trek is in a comedy, you know, and then... <laughs> yeah. uh, and then you had, uh, you know, Dorothy was pitching some stuff. And I, I think Mud's Passion was also being de uh, right. developed for uh, the original series. But uh, honestly, I think that those work better in an animated situation because they don't feel as important as a sequel to the original show would in live action. And I think that they can get away with a lot more that way. Captain, the engine room is filled with Tribble. Well... We can do something about that. Attack. He did it to us again. That tin-plated overbearing excuse for a starship captain did it to us again. Blast that thing. Any other orders, sir? Yes. Don't do that again. Ever. A simple shot of neoethylene will fix everything. The triple colonies will break down into their individual units with a slower metabolic rate. And these really will be safe triples now. Uh, what about the Klingons? Well, unless they treat their triples too, that ship isn't going to be big enough for all of them. Say, you didn't get this one, Bones. Oh, yes, I did. But it has... Someday I'll learn. Aye, Captain. But you've got to admit, if we've got to have Tribbles, it's best if all our Tribbles are little ones. Because I think, you know, for good or ill, uh, uh, more Tribbles, more Troubles is just the more Trouble with Tribbles right. redone with the glomer. Right. Where, There's no compelling know, reason. But it, it works in animation. One, one episode Absolutely. doesn't work is Once Upon a Planet, which is the sequel to Shore Leave, 
which yeah. doesn't work as well as it should. Yeah, um, it's, it's it, it gets it gets distracted and and the, 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 what makes the, it not work? It's less character. It's more about you know sort of these sort of uh, it's it's more pieces. about events happening rather than a story. Yeah, I agree with that. Right. And it, which it, is. It, it's interesting that uh, you know the the animated series fell prey to some extent to the some of the classic tropes of animation that you see that we we always kind of joke about in the writers' room like you know when are we going to do the episode where they all turn into babies you know or the episode <laughs> where they all they all shrink down yeah, they did a yeah. shrinking episode yeah, you know yeah. so they we got to do they, a heist yeah so there was an incident yeah exactly they weren't immune to to some of those uh, to some of those. Uh, classic uh tropes uh you know what would have been a great live action episode though it it, uh would have been and you mentioned it earlier the slaver weapon would have Mm -hmm. been great would have been great it would have been mysterious and weird and creepy and it would have actually fit in very well as a third season episode it felt Uh, it felt rushed and so yeah i probably could have benefited from a a longer running time as well the whole idea of the slaver boxes and stuff Awesome. I, it would have been really right. cool, and, and and you know, jihad probably you know could have been better as a, um, you know, and look, a lot of these, it's a testament to Alan Dean Foster that they work much better in the novelizations, absolutely, uh, because he really fleshes them out. And some and of them he fleshed result, out to uh, to full length novels, right? Or at, at the very end, yeah, at yeah. the very end, because what happened was he was doing three a book, and they were selling so well. That Judy Del Rey said, "You got to slow down because <laughs> we're running out of episodes." So he he got to the point where he was just doing one a novel. But he, you know, he said, "How am I supposed to take a twenty minute show and turn it into a whole novel?" And he started adding material that he pitched to the original show, third season, <laughs> into the novels. And then Fred Freiberger was like, "Star Trek is not science fiction. Star Trek <laughs> is not a drama. Star Trek is just not very good." Uh, and he applied everything he learned to Space 1999. That's right. By God. Although he did get the, you know, that 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 show has a kick in main title. So yeah, both seasons. With that. But both both seasons. Yeah. Yeah. And it has Maya second season. So it damn right it does. Damn right it does. And then, um, go ahead, Steve. Oh, and then Star Trek and animation lay dormant for decades until yep. recently, and until you know. It's we've got a number of animated shows uh, going now. There's at least well, Lower Decks is on mm-hmm. the air now, and then Nickel, the Nickelodeon one, which is now airing on Paramount, which is sort of for kids, you know, for kids. For kids, a uh, prodigy. prodigy. Is that, is that actually debuted yet? No, not yet. No, and I, I honestly, I know a lot of people. There seem to be a lot of people that, that are fans of Lower Decks. I honestly just haven't seen it, so yeah. I can't speak with any degree of authority because I haven't seen it. And I doubt I'll watch Prodigy, not because of any reason, just um, it, I guess it's for kids. So I, I'm, I'm right. You know. And isn't that interesting, though, right? That, that you know, Jesus, how long was it? 50 years ago? People Almost, are telling Gene, like, yeah, don't do this years. as a kid show, yeah. right? Don't do this as a kid show because it'll destroy the franchise. Not, and that I'll, they somehow made this great, great show that kids loved and embraced, but really, it was an adult show. Yeah, and I think that's why we all liked it because it yes. was. I think when we were growing up, and I, you know, I can't speak for kids now, but I liked watching things that I couldn't quite understand or that I understood was a little bit beyond my grasp. It was sort of 
aspirational in, in, in not in the way of like aspiring to behave like the character, yeah. but like to understand the story or this is a grown up story that I want to. I'll tell you, I'm not going to go on to a podcast and talk about emergency plus four. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to give Steve his props because, you know, along the line of what you're talking about, Clone Wars does that. Clone Wars mm -hmm. was a show that was for kids, which is, you know, but that an adult can watch and get and so enjoy. much out of and yeah. enjoy immensely and that enrich that universe so much. And Rebels did the same thing. And now Rebels is sort of serving as the jumping off point for all these live action stories, which is amazing. And, yeah. I, you know, look, I love and I'm loving the Bad Batch right now. Yeah. So what those animated properties have done for that Star Wars universe is it's 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 grown the Star Wars universe. It, it, it has become an, an important part of canon. It respects canon. Um, and, I, you know, I just love it. I hope that, you know, going forward, you know, whatever Star Trek does or doesn't do, that they can learn from the Star Wars example, because that's animation done right for this type of storytelling. Right. It's like you'd never think of, I mean, you do think of like the Clone Wars, et cetera, as being a, you know, a, a, like the kid show, but it's totally not. And I don't know that anybody, and Steve, you can speak to this with like some authority that like, I don't know that anybody involved with that ever thought of it as, yeah, this one's for the kiddos. You know, well, and I, it, it went through some growing pains where it whipsawed back and forth in early development between being, I think it started off very, very hardcore, kind of where Clone Wars ended up, very serious. And then it whiplashed back to being, maybe it's going to be a kid show with, with the youngling adventures, you know, mm -hmm. and then it kind of went back the other way. And, it, and you can kind of see a little of that, especially in the first season or two. Where the uh, there's a little bit of schizophrenia in the in the tone of the episodes before it settled into a groove of just telling good Star Wars stories, which are just good adventures, you know, smart adventure stories. But look, some of the most beloved characters in the Star Wars canon, from Ahsoka to Saj Ventress, these are all characters that came out of the animated show. I'd love to see that with Star Trek. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, to me, the only one that is worth a damn is Mister Eric's. Yeah. And that's bare, barely, you know, but I love Eric's. I just liked his design. I thought it was cool. When Hallmark came out with the Christmas ornament, I bought it even though I'm Jewish because I love Mr. Eric's. <laughs> yeah, it would be great to see uh, a modern Star Trek animated series uh, along the lines of this original Star Trek animated series that's trying to tell the same kinds of stories that we loved about the original show that were these sort of, uh, you know, allegorical stories or good emotional science fiction stories. It's not hard. They tell you in the credits what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Space, the final frontier. <laughs> These are the voyages yeah. of the Starship Enterprise to boldly go where no one has gone before. It's very simple. They tell you in the credits. <laughs> Every the week. Should be. <laughs> All the time. They're, they never, they don't shut up about it. It's not a mystery. <laughs> Okay, well, what's not a miss? Well, also, it's not a mystery. We're getting a high sign for the bartender. I want to thank the inglorious Trexperts. Last call, the inglorious Trexperts, Mark A. Altman and Darren Doctorman, uh, on loan uh, to uh, <laughs> to uh, the cartoon bar room. Thank you for joining us. Well, uh, was there you anything you'd like thank to plug? You. Mark, I know you probably have, have a you'd podcast. Like well, thank you for uh, asking, of course. I want to say, you know, if you're you're uh, first hearing uh, Darren and I um, and our fan of Star Trek, I hope you'll join us at Inglorious Trek Sports every week, every Friday, uh, available wherever you listen to Cartoon Barroom. And of course, 
our sister podcast, Trexpert's Briefing Room, where we curate um, uh, audio commentaries for classic Trek episodes um, with fans, writers, and uh, producers from all the shows. So, um, it's and we've great done an episode of the animated series. We have. We had actually Howard Weinstein on to talk about Pirates of Orion. It was a Orion. great episode. Yes, Orion. <laughs> I'm sure we'll return to that place again as well. And there's also, we did a, an Inglorious Trickster with Dorothy Fantana, um, you know, a year, year and a half ago, which I thought turned out really well. So I hope, hope you'll check that out. And of course, if you're a fan of Star Trek, you might want to check out my book, The 50-Year Mission, uh, Oral History of Star Trek from St. Martin's Press, available in hardcover, paperback, audio and digital so we hit wow. for the, any any possible format you wanted in other than braille it's available it may okay. be a braille i don't know darren you, anything you'd like to plug i don't have to plug anything although i think that uh, we are going to be at the uh, creation 55 year anniversary convention uh at the uh, middle of august in las vegas vegas baby <laughs> So All I right. hope you'll join us there. We're going to be there. We're going to be doing our Inglorious uh, Trek Sports live Viva Las Vegas edition. So Damn maybe right. we will have a few cocktails and take a take a, a, clue, a clue from you guys. Right on. Well, thanks <laughs> again. Cue. Thanks again for joining us and and talking about the Star Trek animated series. On behalf of Ashley Edward Miller, uh, I'd like to thank our sound engineers Bill Ritter and Mark Rivera, our producer Natalie Miscali, our co-producers Peter Holmstrom and Zach Raggetts. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing and rating us five stars in the Apple Store. It really helps us spread the word. You can also check out our sister shows, The 430 Movie, in which this same group of people, industry professionals, curate a fantasy theme week of classic movies. You've already heard about the Inglorious Trexperts and the Trexperts Briefing Room. And The Best Movies Never Made, uh, a podcast about films that never saw the light of a projector bulb. You can watch all of these podcasts and much more on the free Electric Now video streaming app. Download it today at your favorite app store. You can also follow all of these shows on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So until next time... Live long and prosper. That's all, folks. This show was produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.